0: Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice. Hey, Rose- now. Greg, what are you doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What are- where Allison- do
1: you, you come from, Greg? <laughs> I came from the world of childish, and I just want to make sure that your listeners know that you're just as wonderful on the, on the other podcast you do.
0: What if they don't have kids?
1: Don't need them. We <laughs> don't eat them a lot of our listeners actually tell us they don't have kids. We talk about sex. We talk about all sorts and, of dirty
0: stuff, yeah. but also parenting stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, check out Childish new episodes every Wednesday wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here in the pod cabin with Tony Thaxton and a guest who we have not introduced yet. But, hello, Tony. Hi. Now, I'm so,
1: like, jar- it's almost jarring now to hear you just say my name.
0: I almost just called you Tone Zone, but...
1: <laughs> which is what I expect at this point. Yeah. Or Tazone, as it's now to zone.
0: Daniel, Dan- we were just on vacation, and Daniel confessed to me that he's been waiting for the right time to call you <laughs> what he wants, to- like what, in his soul, he feels uh-huh. should be what he calls you, which is Tonesy.
1: I want to know when he's going to know when it's the right time.
0: Right. What if it, what if it, what if that just becomes a bit much like the termites I'm about to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, on a recent show, I expressed that the way I've been starting shows, which is chatting with you about the termite situation in the (laughs) podcast cabin pod cabin. I feel like I don't even care anymore. I can't imagine the listeners care. Like, why must I do this? Yeah. And then I got some responses from people saying they really like it. It feels homey, this chatting with you. Mm -hmm. But I did get a few responses saying, please, no more termite talk. Mm. But I feel like I'm going to give more weight to the people who love it.
1: For those termite heads.
0: (laughs) Right. Those termite heads. Yeah. Two things about that. I was on vacation and not even self-consciously, just purely, it was a pure, pure, I was purely motivated by feeling that i needed to let you know i took a picture <laughs> and <laughs> sent it to you on the balcony of our hotel room i think there was some termite poop yeah so you're neither of us are ever off the clock no and then also i've been out of the studio for i don't know a couple weeks mm-hmm. week and a half came in a li- last night because yeah. we did a show last night I was a little bit worried about what i was going to find what i found is zero
1: because you took him to hawaii They stayed
0: (laughs) zero termite droppings yeah so once again i just want to say to the people who tell you and i don't even believe this i just say it for the show for the people who tell you you have to tent you have to excavate you have to give them three thousand dollars no no just spray insecticide not even insecticide that uh, that uh claims to kill termites (laughs) spray the wrong insecticide in a hole in your wall you'll be fine who told you you don't have to do all that did you? I,
1: yeah. I oh. said you don't have to... I had termites a while back, and I didn't have to get tented oh, and right. all that stuff. You yeah. S- yeah. I did have a, a guy come, but it was like super simple, and he was there yeah. for like 20 minutes or that's
0: something. That's right. You yeah. offered an anecdote that was highly imprecise, but the gist <laughs> of it was he did something that seemed not that big a deal, and yeah. then they well, were I gone. Yeah.
1: My point was we didn't have to do the whole yeah. like tent and all that. Yeah. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Again, they may have the last laugh when this comes crumbling down around us. I think we're good. But until then... DIY all the way yeah baby. You know because we're punk
1: that's right <laughs> clearly
0: punk. let's say hello <sighs> to a person who has been sitting here kindly this whole time it is writer director editor Dan Schechter
2: hello hey guys thanks welcome for me. I'm a termite head I've been invested in this story and I have a couple things to say about it before we get into me if that's okay
0: I would love to hear your termite <laughs> talk update. well
2: one thing I noticed I don't want to give the coordinates of where you live but there's a very close termite related uh, yes. exterminator here Yes, which, I don't know if that's come up before but I thought that was an interesting coincidence. It's, are they people that you consulted at some point?
0: Yes, they're the one it's funny you mentioned them. <laughs> okay. They are the and I don't hold it against them. They're just doing what they do. <laughs> but they're the ones who said yeah. you got to tent it. It's going to be like now I can't remember if it's 1200 dollars or $3000 <sighs> but the problem was This, what, what held me up, you may know this because I know that you listen to the show and that makes me very happy. Uh, they're like, if you want to do the studio and the entire house then it'll just add an extra x amount of dollars where but you have to leave for three days whereas if you just want to do the studio and later you need to do the house it's going to be a lot more expensive and i'm Mm. like leave for three days we can't do that and then only recently did i realize we just left for more than three (laughs) days we should have done it then but again i don't know if i believe that it's necessary even though i think it is
2: we were talking about ailing pets before this goes on and i have I am, have a lot of anger towards veterinarians who sometimes can be very, like, they'll throw in a lot of shit you might not need, yes. and I start to have to, like, kind of pick and choose what I think is necessary. And right. I'm not saying all veterinarians, but a mm-hmm. lot of them you got to keep a pretty sharp eye on.
0: On Childish, my podcast with Greg Fitzsimmons, we were talking recently about vet bills, and I don't even think we were saying it was unnecessary, just that it's, uh, I took, Wendy was sick. She's fine now. But I took her, she had, like, stopped eating, and she was, um, just the fact that she, she's the only thing she cares about is food. <laughs> like she's, It's not just food motivated. She's just, yeah. that's all, that's the only, she doesn't care about us. She just cares <laughs> about food and treats. So she just turned her her little snout away at everything. And I was like, <sighs> okay, something's wrong. So we took her in and they did tests and stuff. And then it was $900. Now I was happy that she was okay. <laughs> but I was like, holy moly, that's way more oh, yeah. than I expected. Um, and then I got an email from a vet who was really bummed out to hear us talking about t- saying negative stuff about vets and I'm not sure what we said uh but to her I say I'm sorry. She was talking about how vets have a really high su- like suicide rate. This got dark suddenly. Really? Yeah
2: wow that is really freaking mm. dark i just think they come off like really sweet people so people don't see it coming right but yeah my dog went in heart failure and then i had to go to like a doggy emergency room mm. and they put her on something and like we, we think we should watch overnight and i was like i don't want to sound cheap here but like how just, much is how that much gonna gonna be? I, the guy goes you know just to watch for the night it'll be thirty two hundred dollars and we'll keep an eye i couldn't believe the number and i got like kind of kind of furious and then i took her home she was fine you know it was mm. like whatever it sucks because you you're even your dog can or cat they can't communicate to you what is wrong with them and and so you're particularly vulnerable and willing to listen to an expert but I'm just saying I'm trying to get the word out to people keep their eyes open that's it just keep (laughs) your eyes open they also are great they've also made my dog healthy so it's a it's a mixed bag
0: yeah it's tough with Oliver we didn't have the option of doing a lot of expensive interventions but I know that we would have like I right Sometimes I wish we had – well, we would have spent all the money we had. Like in a way, I feel like I'm glad that we weren't offered that because on the last day, I was even Googling kidney transplants, which is like – it's a whole thing for dogs. And I don't even think they work well for dogs usually, but like – First of all, you have to own the dog that will give the kidney, and that takes time. Um, and then also, I think the dog has to be on dialysis, which is not probably not a great life right. for the dog. But And it's like – it, I would have done it if that had even been an opportunity. If there had been a, any way that anyone would have said, yes, let's do it. So, yeah.
2: Like if that was $3,200, I'd be like, well, that's a pretty good deal for a dog kidney right. transplant. Oh no, It's way more. No, of
0: course. Yeah. Well, your dog's pizza, you said?
2: She's doing great. Don't nobody worry about pizza. Okay. She's had a very happy life.
0: Good. Not going to worry about pizza. So, you have a movie that just came out called After Class. Yeah. Uh, It stars Justin Long, Fran Drescher, Kate Berlant, Richard Schiff, so many other people. It's so good. Um, Thank you. I enjoyed watching it the entire way through. And then somehow the ending just snuck up on me and like punched me emotionally. Um, it was there's something about and I'm not going to spoil anything and it's not even like there was a it's not a surprise ending or anything but just something about the emo the the way it ends just like really really moved me it was so sweet um, oh thank you can you talk a bit because. I understand from a little research that the movie is somewhat autobiographical.
2: Totally. Obviously.
0: Can you – I actually didn't – I didn't know. Maybe
2: I presume people think that and I try to jump in front of that criticism or or acknowledgement before they would necessarily – but typically if you see a movie with a a, a director who looks exactly like the main character, there's probably (laughs) something – although Justin's – quite a handsome guy but i mean a rough facsimile sim- and things right. that just feel obviously authentic and yeah. super specific yeah
0: well yeah i mean there there is some super specificity yeah. in it but can you talk a bit about what about what the movie's about and what made you want to want to write it um and tell the story and it, i'm sure you'll get into it's interesting because if you misinterpret the movie, you could think it's like a political statement. But right. that's really, to me, not the focus of the
2: movie. Right. Or it's almost like an anti-political statement, which is like, let's not take extreme sides in these positions, which I'll get into in a second. Um, you know, this is like my last kind of big interview about it or whatever, and I still am terrible at pitching it, but I'll do my <laughs> best. Because it's kind of two movies. Uh, it's... it's Quasi autobiograph- Like I don't have a sister that Kate Berlant plays, so there's things that are totally fictional about it. But I was a teacher between 2015 and 17, and I, I didn't do always the greatest job because I was just starting out and learning my own voice. But it was at a time where the students were particularly unforgiving about any error that you could possibly make, and they were, to their benefit, experimenting with their activism and things that they saw, like Black Lives Matter, that meant a lot to them mm-hmm. and, and – um so a lot of it is about uh, my experiences teaching and what inspired me there and what concerned me there and what i saw in myself that i didn't necessarily love and then the other part of this movie is uh almost like a dysfunctional family comedy that where fran drescher plays a version of my mother richard schiff plays a version of my dad and it's framed in these eight days that basically really happened where my grandma went into the hospital and did not come out and and uh it was sort of a I wouldn't call it a joyous week but it was she was lucid she was surrounded by love there's all this weird gallows humor of laughter mm-hmm. that happens a lot in those dark times and I got to know her even better and repay her for like a lifetime of just insane generosity and uh and and then the job was to tie these two stories together by observing generational differences and uh, uh th- this guy's lack of responsibility for his own behavior and other people's feelings in both worlds.
0: So Justin Long seems to not get the severity both of what's happening in the classroom and he doesn't seem to realize that his grandmother is slipping away. Is that how – did you feel like you were in denial?
2: Okay. So there is an inciting incident at the beginning of the movie where he he does something that is – what I aim to be borderline inappropriate where some people can watch this opening scene and go, Oh, that's a cool, inspiring teacher. And some people go, that guy makes me uncomfortable and that's not appropriate with 2019 eyes. Um, so he's then later confronted about this and he has a reaction that many people do, which is a mixture of shame and extreme defensiveness and dismissiveness to people who are doing that, which I have a little bit in me and maybe did even more so a couple years ago, but it's a, it's also a pretty common, uh, pattern that plays out on social media where someone throws a rock at somebody else and then they kind of shut down and they can't really hear the message that they want to hear right um so that was a if you're gonna write something personal you don't want to just shit on everybody else and and make yourself look like the adorable victim and i i saw either in me or in white men in culture there was something about us catching up and 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 not having natural empathy for other people's experiences and a lot was being thrown at us at the time. And, and, and with that white male being used as a pejorative, which doesn't feel great and probably isn't the best way to penetrate certain people. Um, so I wanted to like up, white men, yeah, like, like <laughs> white men, which in a weird way is the target audience of That's true. the movie because they're the ones who, I can't tell you how many white, the best response I get. And I get it a lot is a lot of white men who goes, I fucking hated those kids. It was bullshit. They were coming at him. And then there's a scene at the end where a student says something to him and they were like, it broke them down. Like, mm-hmm. there's something about that girl's performance, the way we did it. They're like, why was I being so defensive about that? That's very reasonable, what she's asking. And that's the dream response to it. I think for other people, maybe women or people of color, there's a pleasure of being seen by that mm-hmm. storyline and, and the hope that maybe their dad, who will never not vote for Trump, might listen a little bit more or something. But um, So that's definitely been part of it. Yeah,
0: Let's um – um. Let's talk about what happens at the beginning. Yeah, you, sure. is that okay without? I don't because, think because it gives it's the it away. opening scene. It doesn't yeah. bother
2: me. But what is nice about it is some people watch it and just like the the character think, what a cool class, and then the audience gets blindsided mm-hmm. along with him. But no, you're right. We've, we've been spoiling it on on interviews. Yeah, <clears throat> I think I was in the watching of it blindsided a little bit. Oh, I thought you said immediately you got your back up with his behavior. I thought no. You, oh, okay. Yeah. No. it's interesting. It's like half and half in my. Yeah. Hole,
0: no, know. I mean I'm. I am, well, my my college was early PC, but yeah. I guess I've just been out of school long enough that I was just like, oh, what a, that's a, you know, I I agree that you should write the truth. So anyway, he's a creative writing professor. Totally. Justin Long, is a, is that what you were?
2: I was a filmmaking teacher, but again, just to get a little bit away from making a movie about movies right. or something like that, something about doing something within the arts really challenges the idea of, well don't you want to challenge artists and make provocative material? It really takes the idea of safe spaces and trigger warnings to a more interesting level. So
0: he's a creative writing professor and it starts and they're talking about a story that a student wrote about a date that went bad. Yeah, And he in class is pushing her to, to like reveal what, like what really happened on the date. And he doesn't, I don't think even know where he's pushing her just that like, let's get to the authenticity. And so then she shares a very specific, um sexual encounter that happened and that's it. And then he finds out that there was a student in the class who f- who had uh been assaulted and felt really triggered yeah. by this moment. And more and more students start not showing up to class and they kind of turn on him. Yeah. Um and then what what you're referring to near the end, you so I think as you're watching it you do f- you f- I felt like, oh, he doesn't get how big a deal this might be for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it does seem like these students are a little bit overreacting. But then yeah. at the end, you hear from the student who felt you know, triggered by this, and you become completely sympathetic to her, and he actually hears
2: her. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So I didn't do what he did. No. Uh, 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 I could have done what he did. Uh, you know, I was, like I said, kind of a young person feeling it out. You want to kind of be... The young, cool teacher, you want to say, hey, we all have sex, guys. Let's get taboo out of here, and mm-hmm. we're writing like adults now. Um, not being aware that for some people they're not ready for that or that me being a physically large, overly enthusiastic man could make someone who, like this young student, had a, a you know, traumatic experience. It, it made sense to me. I went into this job wildly dismissive of trigger warnings and mm-hmm. safe spaces. I had a cliche uh, you know, attitude towards it, which is, hey, kids, you can't make the world a safe space and blah, blah, blah then i played a i don't like to talk about this too much because someone really was triggered but i played a short film that triggered a student and it was a student who had never expressed to me any kind of she was a lovely student one of my favorites she some did like to challenge the authority of the teacher in a very performative way but not her at all Mm. and she changed on an instant she clearly had something bubbling inside of her what film was it I don't even want to say that either okay. just in case that filmmaker, you know, might not got make it. them feel great either. But it was uh, it was a film on short uh, Sundance. It was on the subject of sexual assault of my superiors everybody at the school felt it was appropriate to mm-hmm. play. As time went on the students themselves debated the benefits of it or not, but she couldn't see any of it. She insisted it should have never been played on a college campus ever, which I I couldn't concede because the movie ironically was about silencing female voices on a college campus and mm. I didn't even believe she would have believed that, but it was clear she couldn't even be around me for the rest of the semester without her skin crawling. And so there was something very powerful that happened, and this was while Me Too was happening, and I think my eyes just started to open a bit more and certainly not hate the idea of maybe erring a bit on the side of protecting people a bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, But, of course, the movie, while that's a wonderful thing for this young student and even for this guy to acknowledge her, is that great for academia? I don't know how much a student should be able to dictate. Somebody once said – They thought the movie was more against safe spaces. And they're like, what are we supposed to do? Assume everyone in the class has trauma and navigate that? And I said, well, after Me Too, I think we can assume maybe half of them have. And that's a fucking (laughs) lot of people. So I just became more open to that. And I try not to say that in like a performative. I'm one of the good woke guys Mm -hmm. way (laughs) because the movie – I didn't want to make a movie that just threw white guys under the bus either. That seems cheap and also doesn't resonate with people because they can smell the inauthenticity of that. Mm Um, so, but all that experience just made it seem more complicated and interesting. And I wanted to just show the messiness of it and the human behavior of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone even answers what the original question was. It,
0: so, um, so in your life, when, when she was triggered, how was that communicated to you?
2: Um, I just saw it. I saw it physically happen and no one in the school wanted to touch it. No superiors wanted to talk it out or anything or, like figure it out. I think they just didn't want to get close okay. to it. It was dangerous.
0: So that's a bit different than in the movie.
2: Yeah. Yeah. This, some ways the movie was a bit of a fantasy about how it could have turned out, but you can also see how mm. they weren't particularly well-equipped to handle it. Some students in the class at the beginning were very quiet. Nobody wanted to cross this young woman who was clearly a victim and gone through something awful. But as the weeks went on, it became more irritating and mixed and... There was some anger directed at me, but some pity directed towards mm. me. I was angry. My feelings were hurt. It's hard not to care. But did
0: she talk to you?
2: No. It was. It was just very no. Never. We never got a chance to did talk. Did she it
0: talk to the school?
2: She. She. Yeah. She took it up, and and she. They. 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 Unfortunately, did not agree with her that I should have been in trouble for that, or the movie shouldn't have been played. So and, then she really didn't feel heard. Yes, and uh, there was no. You know, I wanted to express something to her, I even feel uh, ambivalent about this movie existing. But I hope you can see at the end, I, that impacted me, and I, yeah. you know, I, I felt differently about it, and that's all I can offer. But I also can't concede that that film shouldn't have been played. I, it's so messy and complicated, and I still have mixed feelings. Even his behavior at the beginning of the movie, I oscillate back and forth with going, come on, he's a great teacher, and also like, come on, man, you can't go add a woman in front of an entire class and try to pull something out of her and needle her and pressure her. Right. So, even on a daily basis, I still have wildly mixed feelings uh, uh, about it. But, you know, I, I was saying that I went on Corolla's podcast yesterday and I was a little nervous too because I don't have the extreme feelings he has. I obviously see it in a bit nuanced way, but I do have a lot of the same issues that he has. There was a lot of insane bullshit that was performative and cruel and hypocritical and sensory in a lot of ways that. I would come home and tell stories to my friends and family, and I realized I was on the front lines of something that they were only experiencing maybe through social media but not really mm-hmm. in the world, and it was interesting. And I had written this script about my grandma and my family.
0: Oh, so this was already written at the time? This I happened. was
2: writing it, and there was a long storyline about the sister working at an MSNBC-type place, and mm-hmm. she was a liberal, and she hated some Kellyanne Conway type who worked there. And I only had one scene in the school, and we did a reading at my apartment, which I often do just to kind of get a quick taste of what I have. And everyone was like, dude, fucking enough with politics, man, or whatever. But that one scene in the class, the everyone came alive. And I was like, oh, here's an indirect way I can talk about this. Because mm-hmm. how are you going to make art not about these times right now? It's hard to make a timeless thing right now. Like, right. I remember I saw a Marriage Story, and I loved it. And I'm just like, this is nice. This has nothing to do with Trump, and I loved that <laughs> for it. And it was a great film. But for the most part, I think we all want to try to <laughs> say something. And I think the lane for this movie was – I'm not talking to conservatives. I, 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 there's no one in this film who identifies as a conservative, but liberals are sort of eating each other. There's a movie mm-hmm. in that scene in that diner where they're kind of fighting over who's the right version of a feminist, and I think right. that was the idea that I wanted to right. talk
0: about. So you... So you have you never spoke to this student after this happened?
2: Uh, only in class. We went through the motions of it. I even feel awkward talking about it so much, God forbid. But if you don't want to. Yeah, we, we I, I, I've been avoiding it slightly. But no, we never, ever, ever got closure. And I, 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 I presume to this day she doesn't like me. I, uh, 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 I thought heavily about making this movie, and I changed everything. This is about another situation, mm-hmm. story, thing. But the... It was so nice. I remember my a lot of my students actually look, a lot of my students liked me and they worked on the movie that a student in the movie they worked on post and then they were on set as PAs. And a lot of them who were around that environment originally, they watched the film and, and they were like, "Yeah, we never really thought about you going home. We never really thought about you taking this with, with you." With they it, don't. Yeah. And we never really saw teachers that way either. You know what I mean? It just doesn't seem like it would have bothered them. And, mm-hmm. and I'm a sensitive person and you wear sort of shame like a cloak when you've Everyone can relate to doing something wrong and then their immediate response is to want to be defensive. But they have that other voice in the back of their head that knows it was fucked up. Or the situation was just messy in the middle and they're not dealing with someone who's making them feel that that was an honest, reasonable mistake or something like that. So – but would I go back and not play that short film? I don't know. And is that good for the students? I don't know. So I'm still – Grappling. Messed up about it. And then all the family stuff was just other stuff I wanted to work out or play with. And then it was trying to find needle and thread that hopefully made them both feel like they made. So you said the movie at the end has some cumulative effect that hopefully you don't see coming. and mm-hmm. That seems to be the reaction we keep getting, which is lovely.
0: When you started writing the story about um, your grandmother and the sister who worked at MSNBC, what was the story you were trying to tell
2: at that point? Um, I think I wanted to talk about generations of women. Mm-hmm because of me too was like just massive there. And I think that was like the most important movement of my lifetime. It, it, it certainly had a major impact on me. Um, and I wanted to look at the grandmother, the mother, the sister, the students, and then my nieces who are mm. play themselves in the movie. Oh. They're, they're, they're delightful. Um, and uh, you know, that quote, uh, I think it's Martin Luther King that, uh, the long arc of time bends towards justice, even though there's, you know, backwards and forward steps mm-hmm. and things like that. and, so that was what I was roughly playing with. But sometimes you want your unconsciousness to keep writing because it's telling you these things belong together. Mm-hmm. And even now I think I start to you know, you start to see, wow, a lot of teachers in this movie act like students, and students can be teachers, a lot of parents act like kids, and kids can be parents. So you start to find other things that hopefully your the left brain is, is mm-hmm. working out for you while the right brain's getting it down on paper.
0: Well there's yeah, I was I was sort of thinking about the ways in which the stories relate. And there's that line where Justin Long um Becky, what, I forget her last name. Ann. Becky Ann Baker from Becky, yeah, Girls and right. uh, Freaks and Geeks. She plays actor. the dean. And, and she says to him, I know you're new to teaching. And he's like, but I'm not new to being a student.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was certainly my experience. I, I couldn't believe it when I was there. It just I told this story yesterday on Corollas. I tell it a lot because it's a, it's a quick one but explains what I was dealing with immediately. Mm. So day one. So they didn't know me from Adam, I Carl uh, or Adam from anybody. Um, and I, uh, I was complimenting another student of mine. I said, "This girl wrote a beautiful script and did it this way, and from the back of the room I heard, uh, "You mean woman?" <laughs> like that. Mm-hmm. Not an not exaggerate, that was what it was, and okay. I said, I was, was, it a, was it a It was a female okay. student?" And I was thrown and I said, "I'm sorry." she goes, "You mean woman?" Oh, I said, Oh, you mean like don't use girl? And she goes, Yeah, I'm a woman. So, Kate, we're all women in this classroom. We prefer to be talked to that way. It was like that. So, like, my brain is panicked. Like, I can't, you get angry, you want to yell back, but that you're going to look like a fucking lunatic, yeah. like a tyrant. <laughs> so, you can't do that. Um, you just go, Oh, thank you for teaching me. That's a, Well, even that is a bit much, but I said, Thank you for saying that. And I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. I appreciate you. Whatever. I try to take the high road. But, what I did that week was talk to every woman I know, and I genuinely asked. I hated the way she did that. I think she was a terrible advocate mm-hmm. for feminism, and she could have said it after class in a much kinder way that maybe would have actually hurt it if that was her goal. But that right. wasn't her goal. Her goal was to express some anger she had in these times or whatever her personal life is. And I found about a third, a third, and a third when I spoke to the people in my life. I found a third said... Fucker, that's bullshit a third were like I get it but I don't care and a third were like yeah actually there are times where I definitely feel a bit dismissed by that mm-hmm. word and I've made an effort to change that so I'm not going to let the way my interest is to genuinely try to grow that's what I want to do and even if the way she said it to me wasn't particularly helpful but there was a lot of that mm-hmm. all the time and every feeling class. like
0: you stepped in it
2: feeling like a target because uh, you know there there were a lot of signs around school that said, where are all the teachers of color that the kids would post on? And of course, you become wildly self-conscious, as all white men are in these days. Um, Not to say that we're victims. I don't think we are. But white men see this movie differently, and they kind of give me a little like, yeah, that's what it feels like. And nobody wants to complain about that. But it it doesn't feel good to have your race and gender be a really famous pejorative (laughs) combination. And part of it is useful, but part of it feels hypocritical and – It's also like I didn't want to just sit back. I wanted to find something to say. And I think what I'm trying to say with this movie is just to try and grow and listen and validate a bit more than tell other people why they should feel differently.
0: You said that Me Too was like the biggest movement of your generation. Um, For me personally. Yeah. Obviously it doesn't
2: impact everybody that way. But yeah.
0: Uh, Can you talk more about about that? Yeah. Like what ways did it impact you?
2: It's interesting from my point of view is I did like this – embarrassing math where I was like, oh, yeah, every woman I've ever been with told me a story, but I never connected it mm-hmm. in that same way. Or you're like, oh, yeah, when they get into a cab at night, they're a little more freaked out than I am. You know, it's like things that whatever. Let's say me. I don't want to say all white guys. You're, sometimes you're just not born with empathy for something you didn't go through. Mm-hmm. Sometimes movies teach you that. Sometimes following people on Twitter and listening to what they complain can genuinely open my eyes and teach me that. And I follow all these badass people who open up my world a little bit, and I get that from social media. Um, And I just think it turned everything from black and white into color for me. And I had a lot of great men in my life, too, who, like, we all kind of had nice chats, like, the chats women would want men to have, like, taking a real inventory and not being dismissive. But then you see older generations of dudes who are, like, good guys, like, people I'm related to who seem like they will never fucking get it Mm -hmm. and you will never penetrate them. And, the sad, and, and then you're like, well, maybe they have a lot of shame about things that they just don't want to fully mm-hmm. open up to. And then you see my nieces and what they deal with in school, and it's like a whole new exciting world. So um, I just found that I really cared about it and wanted to – and somehow that experience with that young female student, I, I couldn't find a better way to exemplify even, quote, good guys still having – Impact and power they are not aware of with young women. Even Obviously, if I made a movie about a teacher tries to fuck a student and sexually assaults her, that lets everyone in the room off the hook. That's mm-hmm. not a story where that's going to challenge anyone. But with this movie, we really try to challenge both sides. We were terrified to play it. Mm-hmm. We, we were going to premiere at Tribeca, and Justin Long and I would run terrifying potential questions. And after 30 festivals, a bunch of screenings, we haven't gotten any real pushback. Oh, can because- I ask what you Im- – like what was the worst – what were some of the worst questions you imagined? Oh, well, for example, there's a young black woman in the movie who's kind of railing on a class. This Mm -hmm. was somewhat based on something that I saw. And I think a very fair criticism the movie could be is, well, there's not really a mature black woman who represents this other point of view, and that's a trope of an angry black woman. So anything like that, we thought really hard about because I wanted to be able to defend this movie five years, 10 years, 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. And I felt that especially the way that actress does it, also, frankly, the way I wrote it, it, that captures a very real anger that is vital to this story and provides context to this movie mm-hmm. and to where the entire culture is. And uh, the words I put in her mouth were words I had heard from several people. I had young women of color come in and audition and then talk to them about it. And I felt it was valid. And unfortunately, there's not room in this movie to have a wise, older, Viola Davis-type character to tie everything together maturely but I still felt like I was representing her in a fair way and giving her a good point of view that resonates. She says, you guys just need to shut up and listen to me, please. Like, she's begging for it, but Mm -hmm. she's just at an age where she doesn't know how to articulate that, and her anger is just so sudden that she herself is not even aware of it. Mm -hmm. That movie, that, that scene almost bookends the film a little bit because she's saying the kids are sexist or misogynist and they're being very dismissive and shitty towards her, and that's Twitter culture. And the end of the movie with this young student when she finally talks to him... Like couples therapy that 's a really good way that she communicates her pain, and he validates it without the word but mm-hmm. and that I find that idea very relevant and and moving and other, so things like that we all wanted to sort of pass the test, and you know something i think another reason we don 't get too much criticism well one we 're not advocating for any strong position, mm-hmm. so you can 't say we are, but also the behavior of the students is so disgusting in the movie that nobody really wants to mirror that in a q and a with the same self-righteous tone because right. now they've suddenly seen how unappealing and ineffective that really is to be that way. So maybe it's a combination of things or people talk shit about the movie <laughs> behind my back that I can't see but we invited that a lot with the script with the, the editing. You know, people say that it's like, oh, it's so hard to make Movies now are tweeting out because you have to be so careful about every little thing you say. But that made this movie better. Mm -hmm. Every idea we had to challenge. Every joke we couldn't just throw in there. We had to really think about who that joke was on. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of limiting, but it also makes you give a shit more and and be a little less sloppy with who the target of your humor is. Right. And so that was – I'm proud of that. And I think that's a good positive thing about these times.
0: You, so Justin Long, you gave him in the movie, a young ish girlfriend who had yep. been a student of his at one point.
2: Right. No. So, well, close. Okay. She uh, she was a student at a school where he taught, okay. and so in his mind, just like everything else in the movie, he's like, well, technically that's okay. And I think he likes to see. He also sleeps with his brother's nanny. Oh, and, right. Uh, you know, he he just seems to like to see what he can barely get away with and push the line of what he thinks is appropriate. And it's like he's poking the bear. Um, but yeah, I wanted to choose somebody who was young, but also she's European. So her, she doesn't really even see the drama of the mm-hmm. film. I mean, she she frankly could give a shit. I mean, you didn't rape your student open and shut case of I don't need to discuss this anymore. right? And we just played the movie in Rome and you know, they all identify with her, this character <laughs> who doesn't, who isn't in the movie much. And, and, and so yeah, it's nice to acknowledge the rest of the world's perspective on it. As
0: Justin well. Long is so good in the movie. I was, Thank you. Yeah. I have an awareness of him, but I'm not, I mean awareness sounds less that like of course I know who he is but I hadn't seen you know everything he's been in um but I was just blown he just uh oh my god what's the word dissolves disappears into the role he just becomes he's so good
2: thank you I I think he's amazing in the movie and I was a fan of his before but I I fancy it I think the most mature piece that he's done yet and I know he's especially proud of it he's been doing a lot of press and wants people to See it, which feels really good. And I think it was, and it's not him, mm-hmm. you know, it's more me. He, he's doing something different. When I'm around him now, it's a reminder that he is different from the guy he plays in the movie. But he also deeply connected to that idea and he loves his grandma, and is like that with his family. But also, the anxiety he experiences in culture today seems to relate to him. And uh, I think his performance is great. And his baggage is helpful. I made a movie with Jennifer Aniston. That's how we met. I made a movie called Life of Crime. And it's always fun to give people something different. But he's so – his brand is to be famously non-threatening to women. He Mm -hmm. does these rom-coms whenever I'm out with him. It's young women who really adore the work that he's done. Um, And in this movie, you know, somehow that that plays well into what he believed was very charming, non-threatening behavior. and may have even come off that way, but you look at it with fresh eyes and Mm -hmm. it has an impact. So and he was a pleasure to work with. This is kind of like a brave role weirdly because he could have looked like a douchebag if mm-hmm. you were like it's kind of hard to be a white guy these days or whatever that could have the bad version of this I think movie could have been. And uh and he never cared. He never had like any I don't know if this is likable if I, we should try it this way. He just threw himself into it and trusted me a guy he barely knows who I was introduced to by Doug Benson, our oh. mutual friend. Yeah.
0: How did that all happen?
2: When you're wanting to make a movie and you know the guy you want for it, you start to become, unfortunately, very schemy about how you can get <laughs> to that person.
0: So you decided you wanted Justin Long before auditioning him or anything?
2: Yes. Okay. Well, frankly, it, the movie was a half-million-dollar movie, and my financier said, if you can get Justin, I'll do it. Oh. And he's creatively who I wanted, so, uh, yeah. I mean, did I know it was going to be as good as it turned out to be? No, but I have faith that I can... Mm-hmm. Wiggle someone in a direction and then he exceeded my expectations. So I did a thing I don't love to do, but because Doug has these cell phone numbers in his pocket, because we both are doing Doug loves <laughs> yeah. movies tonight. I said, dude, I hate to ask, but would you? Cause Doug loved the Jennifer Aniston movie I mm-hmm. made. And we met at a film festival, Michael Moore's film festival. And we became, I think genuine friends. I really love Doug and love doing a show. Uh, and then, uh, Justin, like, texted me 10 minutes later. And then I think we met the next day because he, he was texting me while he was reading it, which is so rare. There's a horrible uh, part of filmmaking when you're just making offers, meaning you just send a a, a contract to the agent mm-hmm. and you're just in the dark, not even knowing if they know about it, if they're ever going to read right. it. And I think Justin was trying to make his own movie. So he suddenly had new empathy for the people making offers to him. And he just dug it. He was hungry for this. like. Even though the movie – we shot in like 16 days, which is nothing. It's a really small amount of time to make a film. And he's doing eight to nine pages a day, no trailer, outdoors without us shutting off the streets and people bothering him during Mm -hmm. takes. And uh, he still delivers something that I'm enormously proud of.
0: So – who did you audition and who did you just give an offer to
2: yeah so okay so then it's kind of you can do some of the common sense right so like fran drescher was actually the first person to sign on my mom sent me a text one day and it just said fran drescher and i didn't understand what the context was (laughs) and i realized that she was pitched. she knew i was making a movie about Mm -hmm. our our family roughly and she said uh, oh
0: that's who she wanted to play her
2: yeah and it wasn't a lame idea because it's like when Ray Romano does like a Scorsese thing, there's something kind of old and new about it Mm. at the same time. And Fran's really good in the movie. She's playing like what Fran feels more like in real life than on the Mm -hmm. nanny. And it's very natural and funny and real. Um, So she was the first one to say yes. That was awesome. And then uh, Richard Schiff, who was from the West Wing, which is a show that is very meaningful to me. And that character specifically is meaningful to me to play some version of my dad. And, uh, and then I think we went to Justin after that. So all the famous names you typically offer, and then all of the kids are people that you audition. The young woman who plays um, that girl who gives a speech at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. The student. Yeah, she uh, she th- th- uh, through breakdown services made a tape from Alabama. She was in theater school and she got herself a role in the movie and she's been like Instagramming oh, cool. about it. So that's really fun too. Uh, but like a Becky Ann Baker, like rule of thumb if you recognize them, at this movie I probably had to audition mm-hmm. them. So I had, I think I had another mutual friend with Becky and she said yes and she did all of her work in one day and she's... I've never worked with an actor like that where you just watch the dailies and there's nothing unusable. (laughs) Yeah. She's so incredible. Um, And what about Kate Brilliant. Kate was, yeah. We we, we made an offer. I had a mutual friend. Kate is someone who, if people don't know her work, please seek it out. She's brilliant. So funny. But does a lot of really broad comedy work and I think she was a little hungry to show she can do just natural dramatic Mm -hmm. behavior. I mean, she's still a funny character, but... uh, uh, And she, yeah, I think we got, like, kind of our top choices for everybody. And Kate and Justin, like, they really feel like brother and sister in a movie. I don't have a sister. So, in a way, Kate functions as, like, the sister I wish I had. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, they were, they could just improvise, like, fucking crazy together. They were just really funny. And I have no ego with that on set. If it's something better than I spent two years toiling over (laughs) on my laptop that they can just (laughs) improvise in the moment and it feels alive. And I kind of defy people to figure out where it was improvised and where it was real, because I just kind of strive for some form of naturalism Mm -hmm. whenever possible. And mostly everybody was pretty good at improv.
0: So, um, uh, are you, did your dad and mom split up and then did your dad remarry?
2: Yeah. Most of that stuff is pretty true. Um, I did not sleep with my brother's nanny. Uh, so there are some fictional (laughs) elements of the movie. Um, but, and I showed them the script all beforehand. I don't think I would have changed it if they didn't like something because that's not really my job. But like I said, A, I wanted to make sure I was looking at myself first before like pointing at other people. And, uh, you know, they're, they're like, I'm a lucky guy. They're really supportive, they get what I do. And, um, I I feel really fortunate about that. And and also they dined out a little bit on Fran playing my mother and Richard playing my, <laughs> right. my brother had his kids in the movie, so I kind of bribed everybody with something to be to be real, and we all love that grandma. Like she was our matriarch. She yeah. was a person. So it's kind of cool that we just got to make some rec and this woman named Lynn Cohen plays the grandma mm-hmm. who a lot of people know from Sex in the City. I think she was like Cynthia Nixon's. Oh, like right, nanny. Magda. Magda. That's
0: how I know her. Yeah. Um,
2: and then some Hunger Game movies, and every casting director was, was in New York was like, you got to cast her, which made me not want her because, because I didn't want the cliché go-to grandma. Right. I wanted to like, do someone a little fresh, but then I met with her, and I was like, that, she felt like my grandma, and she was really exciting. And we also liked that like, old ladies in movies are sort of like pearl-clutching old ladies, mm-hmm. so they're sort of like rapping grannies. But my grandma was just like a woman, like a cool chick like, to talk to, <laughs> and, and she, she was like that a lot, too. So it worked out pretty well.
0: Do you have a complicated relationship with your dad in real life?
2: No. Uh, that was a time, you know, it's tricky to talk about, but that was a time in his life where he was just, I, I think most people, can, not most people, but a lot of people can relate to a new person coming into your family and changing the dynamic. But my dad's like my, a rock of a guy. I remember I met with Schiff and I said like, oh, do you know why I'm like, want you for this? And and he was like no you want to tell me and i was like (laughs) because you're you're so formidable and you're bright and 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 you're powerful on screen and i just think people will be wanting that to come out the way i wanted my dad to kind of like wake up a Mm -hmm. little bit um and and he was you know happy with the movie i I think it's hardest on him to watch to some Mm -hmm. extent but i changed enough of it from real life to for dramatic purposes or whatever other reasons that uh he could kind of remove himself a little bit and just watch it but uh yeah, my, my job isn't to make everybody feel happy and I wanna just get to truth, but I love my family. It's a love letter to all of them. It's it's dysfunctional, but we were about as functional as you can be. We all surrounded my grandma in this beautiful circle of life way and like helped her move on and like they're like my favorite people. Like we are a tight, small clan, my family, so I nobody I, is holding any grudges that I'm aware of, and I certainly hope not. Um, uh, so yeah, it, it's I feel really lucky I got to make this movie mm-hmm. because it's kind of self indulgent. It's like all about me and my family and teaching, but it's a huge relief when you go out and the whole world sees something from their family in it or something from the culture in it that. They can relate to, and usually when you do something so specific, it has a universality to it.
0: So originally, it was titled "Safe Spaces." Yeah, you changed the title. I
2: did uh, for two reasons. One reason was I never loved that title. It, I was a bit ambivalent about it always because people—it's a very loaded phrase for people—and I didn't want people going in like with their backup mm-hmm. about it. And I remember Justin and Kate kind of teased me about it one day, and that insecurity stayed with me forever. And oh,
0: well, how did they tease you?
2: They were just like, you're sh- you really going to call it safe space? with like, Their tone. I forgot what they said, but it didn't feel good. And I knew that they had a conversation probably about it behind my back. But I had already been like, this movie isn't about polarizing people. It's bringing people together and, and maybe people don't want to rent a babysitter and go out and watch a movie about that subject or something. Um, and then, I don't know if you know this, but famously when a distributor takes your movie, people still buy a lot off of Video On Demand and they want you to have an A title. So when you go mm. through an alphabetical order, oh, they can, I just heard this recently. Yeah, and it's not bullshit. They actually have numbers that prove you'll get 300% better on Video On Demand, which seems a little short-sighted to me, but – I do it myself. You get fatigued by the time you've right. letter C or D, and you maybe you've made a decision. Next time you're on an airplane, watch all the titles. You won't believe how many now right. are, are A. Um, and uh, and so they gave me the illusion of choice with two awful options. And after class, and <laughs> I I conceded that after class was benign enough, and uh, and I've gotten I've gotten used to it. But it's hard when you don't have a title for your movie because it's like not having a name for your kid a couple months after they've been born. It's just weird to rebrand them or something. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm fine with it. I, I, would, I, would, uh, I would gladly tell you if I felt more bitter about it.
0: And it's now available everywhere, streaming?
2: Yeah, it's on Video On Demand, it's on the iTunes, it's on cable, it's on uh, Amazon, you can rent it, Xboxes, Playstations, and and things like that. And it's why I'm so grateful you have me on the podcast, because this is like the greatest year of movies I've ever seen in my life. Like, the movies that are out right now are just crazy good, like 20 deep in a movie theater right now, Mm -hmm. like even the Golden Globes. So it is reasonably hard to get attention for something like this. It probably would be hard any year, but... It's nice, and especially doing a podcast is nice because I think the quick snapshot of this movie might turn people off. But if, if they understand at least that we're advocating for some kind of nuance and empathy, that uh, it seems to leave people feeling more connected than mm-hmm. distant than when they started the film.
0: Well, and just to, to reiterate, the what happens in class and all of that nuanced drama it really to me is not the main is not the is not the main story of the movie the yeah. main story to me was the family stuff and the relationships and all of that
2: yeah i i think i've gotten in the bad habit of jumping on that first well because when you have q and a's that stuff just draws so much attention right. it's only like 25 to 30 percent of the movie but it feels almost equal because those scenes are well, whatever they're more powerful. Right. They, there's something about them that every one of them feels like there's a danger to it mm-hmm. and a freshness to it that I had never experienced before in making a film of something that took over the A plot almost and seemed to resonate throughout the whole movie. And then, yeah, there's a love interest in the movie and other, other little subplots. But uh, somehow the school stuff seems to be what I prioritize a lot of time talking about because the family stuff is probably stuff – even if you haven't seen this, you've felt something like right. this in other movies. you know.
0: Um. You grew up in New York?
2: I grew up in Roslyn, Long Island. uh, And then I went to school in Boston and then quickly moved to New York City. And I've lived there ever since. The movie was shot like entirely around my neighborhood using my apartment as like an office. And we shot at the diner I went to and the bagel place I go to and on these corners. And there's a scene where he puts his nieces inside of an ATM machine (laughs) so they are secure while he's fighting with his sister. So everything out of both convenience and personal pleasure was to – to capture that point in my life in that neighborhood. And I love living in New York. It's what I was saying before. It's fun to be in LA for a week, but now I'm excited to get back to my apartment and yeah. even the cold and my dog. Certainly, <laughs> you
0: know. um, what was your childhood like?
2: Um, I have such a bad memory, but my memory of it was just really, really good. Like I had a very idyllic, uh, suburban, uh, childhood and I got along with people very well. I wasn't particularly bullied. There wasn't health issues. My parents, they divorced like when I went to, college so for 18 years i had kind of as good as it gets you know i had a cool brother and i had good friends and i uh played sports i did well in school so it was very simple but and always i wanted to make movies i had an uncle who came out here when he was young and he was trying to make it happen and he made me aware that people write teenage mutant ninja turtles and that kind (laughs) of a thing uh and then uh i wrote something that somebody else directed and i was like "Ah, i didn't love how that came out and then i'm like all right i think i want to be a director too even though it's so, so, the, so, hard.
0: The, initially, you just wanted to be a writer?
2: Yeah, I think so, because it was fun. I, in college, I would like hang out on set and flirt with the actors and have my headphones on like us being at the monitor. And it <laughs> just seemed, I'm, I can be a bit lazy at times. And then when you see somebody else execute it, you're like, no, there's a really, like, even this movie had such a specific tone that in the hands of somebody else, I don't think I would have ever trusted anybody to direct this. Because I think, like I said, the wrong version of this mm-hmm. movie could have made everybody look Really bad, and I guess I found out I was better than I thought, and not as lazy as I thought. But then, like childbirth, famously, after every movie, you're like, "I'm never doing this again." <laughs> that was the worst experience. It was so painful, I, you know. And then now I'm getting that itch again to have a new baby because you, 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 this is it now. It's done. It's out in the world. I'm proud of it. Like the people I respect seem to respect it. We got great reviews, and uh, but I'm not going to do like another victory lap for another year. I want to like get another at bat and be better. So yeah, I've made like, this is my fourth thing that I've directed. And I think I'm trending in a uh, direction of getting better at doing this. And I, I love doing it a lot. Mm-hmm. I didn't move out to LA very purposefully, I, probably because I'm so family oriented. I just wanted to be around my nieces and my family. And I like New York. And But I think it maybe hurt me not being out here. There's mm-hmm. something about being here where you just casually get to grow your network of people and there's opportunity and stuff. But you know, I don't know. I, I I don't like myself out here. I started like name dropping more, trying to gain <laughs> status in conversations, and I was like, I can see this not being good for my personality. And what I really need to do is just put my nose down and, mm-hmm. and write. And I've been spending a couple years doing that. The last time we met, I had that Jennifer Aniston movie, which was like a lottery ticket I wrote for myself. Mm-hmm. I was a huge fan of Elmore Leonard, who uh, an incredible writer, but his famous adaptations were like. Get Shorty and Out of Sight mm-hmm. and Jackie Brown. And I picked a book off my bookshelf called The Switch. That was a prequel to the one Tarantino made called Jackie Brown. And I miraculously got to make it by just adapting it on spec and hail Mary-ing it in. And then we got Jennifer Aniston and Tim Robbins and John Hawks, who's going to be on our show uh, with Doug Loves Movies tonight. And then that movie was the closing night of the Toronto Film Festival. And I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. And then it just didn't get much of a, of a release. It, mm-hmm. Uh, it was literally released like in two theaters for one week and sort of just was dumped on Netflix what, what or something. What was the name of that movie? It was called Life of Crime. And that's the weird thing, too. Like, I made a movie with Jennifer Aniston based on this guy's book, and it, yeah. it's kind of something that no one knows about. It wasn't like a Geely famous bomb or anything. It just sort of <laughs> came and went. So before that, you have all the fantasies of what your life could be like as a director. But that's sort of… Uh, it was disappointing, I, it sounds like. Yeah, but I also was like… When I watch the movie now, it's like it's not amazing. I can't say I did an amazing job, and the world didn't appreciate it. I was like, it was pretty good, Mm. and and I've learned lessons on that that I applied to this. This movie feels more personal. This movie feels more necessary, Mm -hmm. or for whatever reason, Um, and uh, so. But it also kind of helped humbled me in a good way. I was like, okay, now I just want to make the best art that I can, and hope that that catches on. Uh, and try to combine what was ambitious and commercial maybe about that movie with what is personal to my other work that seems to be connecting with audiences more. But, yeah, sure, it was fucking disappointing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to, like, uh, dwell on things or get bitter. I just want to be like, okay, what can I do next to to get to the next level? I just want to keep making movies and telling stories. And teaching wasn't something that I did out of like, oh, man, this directing thing isn't working. out. I wanted to do both. I never had any mentors. I never had anybody teach me. Like, I learned from all of my own mistakes. Mm. And so when I was teaching, I just desperately wanted to tell them everything, just dump all of my experiences, good or bad, times I screwed up and times where I think I outsmarted the system. And it was a bummer because it was just teaching at a time where I just felt like they weren't as open. They weren't uh, a sponge the way I wanted them to be. Mm-hmm. They 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 seemed very resist. They wanted to teach me stuff.
0: <laughs> what um, what are the lessons that you wanted to impart? Let me ask that in a less lofty way. Um, what are some of the mistakes that you made that you learned from?
2: Oh, I was you know I was wrapped by William Morris Endeavor for a while, and I was just talking to a director last night who just got repped. And, you know, it's, I remember getting all these great scripts, not great scripts, all these scripts from Fox and Disney. And I'd read everything and they all sucked or I would never get them because I just wasn't a director in that position. And I realized, man, like, you just have to write your own stuff. As miserable as writing is, <laughs> it's just not going to come to you. You need if you can do it, you must do it. Mm-hmm. And I can write. I just didn't want to write mm-hmm. because maybe a part of that laziness, maybe part of insecurity or whatever it was. So definitely creating my own content became really important. So like right now I have two other specs that are ready to go and a TV series that I'm doing. And I feel like for the first time I've done
0: Because if you don't, what happens? Like if you just sign on to other people's movies, what, ha- what happens? I got an
2: agent uh, w- because I was a writer and director, meaning, oh, it's two for one. We could get a script that didn't work out. You could polish it and then you mm-hmm. could direct it or maybe just polish scripts or just direct things. You're kind of useful in in in, in many ways. So – yeah, I, I guess – give me your question one more time. Look, like,
0: you're okay, saying that if else. you can write, you have to write. Yeah, it's not going to come if- to you.
2: It, 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 you're not going to find some great spec that they're going to put you on. Maybe if you hit a Damien Chazelle whiplash thing, suddenly <laughs> the world will open up to you. But right. I bet even he still has to rewrite and rework a lot of things. So mm-hmm. constantly creating your own material is the only way to give you some power in this business. That's, that's the question. Yeah, I think we um, – I grew up in all these movies where like, the writer on set was the butt of the joke in movies about movies, and I haven't seen it to be the case. The most powerful people I know are people who write daily and create scripts and love doing it and can do a spec in a couple weeks or something like that. And those are those are the only people I know who I can almost guarantee their success if they mm-hmm. keep doing it long enough. And uh, And, yeah, I think I matured, and I just didn't know how much to bother my agent about things or how much to f- – Aggressively approach other people about things. So you know, I, what is
0: the answer to that?
2: I it's it's a good reason why every situation has a specific um, scenario. And you know, I, people ask me advice all the time, and I just try to go, well, and I could have done this. And it really depends. But uh, for example, a simple lesson I learned was I just finished a, a script now that I'm enormously proud of. It was a big kids movie. It's like a studio thing. And my first instinct was to send it to everyone. But then I know, oh, I'll be embarrassed by this draft, and two drafts later, I'll mm-hmm. regret that I had sent that earlier draft out. And so, just be patient. Mm-hmm. Patience is enormously hard for filmmakers, independent filmmakers especially, where you can go out and do it yourself as right. much as possible. But I, I, I found I occasionally have put the the, the cart before the horse on many uh, events in my life, and I've learned not to do that now. And um, you know, so. But I've also been really lucky. I think I've also made really good strategic moves, but. It's a hard job to learn from. I, I'm envious of people with mentors. There's a, a young guy I mentor whose name is Nick Inglese, and he he was a really talented student I had. And he went through the entire process. He wrote this, He didn't write the script. He helped me edit it. He helped me cast it and saw so us making offers to agents. He saw me prep and work with a DP. He you know, uh, was on set. He acted in the movie. He helped me cast the movie with auditions. He helped me edit the movie. He helped me make – you know instagram little promotional things this week or something and he squeezed every drop of fruit out of this experience and almost got a second film school out of it and a lot of young people don't want to work for free or intern but mm-hmm. for one year and a half of work that guy got probably 10 years of my experience and also saw what i did wrong in the editing room and and maybe uh, an embarrassing thing i said on a podcast that i regret or whatever story i tell <laughs> that day and uh, unfortunately people have to learn a lot from their own mistakes that's also something i've learned being a teacher but you can you can give them like a bit of a head start and uh i i i like to demystify the process as much as possible and in class i would love i would show them scenes and say here's how i shot it incorrectly and we almost had to you know, reshoot it or do something wrong. And I was almost more excited to do that than here's something I did perfectly. Or Mm. here's what Stanley Kubrick did. You can almost learn more from my mistakes than some master's, you know, success.
0: Are there any mistakes that you feel like you made in after class?
2: Yeah, sure. But not much. I would only attribute it to, to, um, the time we had to shoot it in 16 days. You know, people come up to me a lot, uh, and they go, man, those kids, they come off pretty bad in the movie. And I did have students who rounded that out a little bit. And maybe there wasn't – I think Corolla, he used to make a joke about how well, stand-up comedians don't tell a lot of jokes about their wife, about how great of blowjobs they give and how wonderful their yeah. cooking is because there's just not a lot of juice <laughs> to there, what yeah. is wonderful about about them. But I, I worry with this movie, maybe I was too dismissive towards the kids. But that, woman ha- that, that young woman has a really moment at the end that shows you a totally reasonable person of that generation who – exemplifies the way they could express their trauma and their experience that other people can learn from. But uh, it's also, you can't help a funny joke like that kid holding the phone, but the movie's not a satire at all. Mm -mm. Literally everything in that movie either happened or could have happened, and it felt tonally right, and I wanted to give the audience the experience that I had teaching there, which was just pure terror, and it did feel unfair a lot, and it felt cruel a lot, hypocritically cruel a lot. Like how? I hate like harping on being a white guy because it's just the worst look. But it was something about that combined with my specific energy that made me a kind of a wonderful target. Mm. You know, uh, my therapist says sometimes that it, you know, I inherited this from my mother. Like I can almost do a dismissive laugh sometimes when I want to really make my point about how dumb something sounded. So things that you're even unconsciously doing maybe can just be slightly off-putting mm. to people. And I some things you can improve about yourself, and th- some things you can't. Um, so it, it was just, it was tough. I can just tell a lot of them weren't rooting for me to be their best teacher. And even that one student that I mentor, he's a young white male. And I'm like, it's hard to know if maybe that's why I felt more comfortable or right. connected with him and his work. And I, I of course, tried to over-adapt and offer opportunities to other students and connect them up with mentors that I thought would be beneficial to them. But it, it was just a very tricky time to to be doing that. And you know, if I, I'm i in the DGA, for example, so at the end of one semester, I took a student to see a screening with Martin Scorsese. I thought that's a cool thing for the hardest working student, mm-hmm. and it was a male student. And then the next year, there was a female student that was the best one, and I almost felt odd asking her to go out with me in New York right. City to this thing. But I refused to not offer that um, event, so I went to my superior, and I said, how do you feel about this? So you try to navigate things as best you can, but... That's tricky. I, I felt probably, and maybe I would even go grab a beer with the guy afterwards in a way it would feel odder to do that with a mm-hmm. young woman. It was just, it was, it was tough. So, you know, but, but overall, I don't want to make it seem like I was constantly putting my foot in my mouth. I think I was a good teacher. I think I am a good teacher. Even filmmaking is a way to teach and say, here's what I learned during this time in my life, and maybe you can benefit from this i think i have a reasonable maybe your uh listeners will disagree but (laughs) sense of someone else's attention span as well and when i'm holding it and uh and you could see you mentioned jennifer Anson. there you you get you cheat your way to the front of the line suddenly they want to hear those anecdotes and those stories and and they want to see a teacher playing with live ammo who really got to do it like to them i went to the moon (laughs) and a lot of them wanted to hear that but a lot of them just didn't for whatever reason And uh, I think they could have gotten more out of their college experience.
0: Are you teaching currently?
2: No, I'm not. Uh, I took I wasn't able to focus on it this year, but I want to get back to it like right away. I do worry that this movie could somehow negatively impact that. Uh, So it's been a huge relief. I guess because the movie was safe spaces. I didn't put it together, but so many people from academia from around the country came to screenings at film Mm. festivals. So Columbia and Harvard and Stanford and I was kind of mortified. I was thinking they were, they're going to see how I taught and they're going to cringe. And they all came up to me and said, this needs to be shown on every mm-hmm. college campus. This is exactly what most early teachers are like. This is what we're dealing with in class. And that was enormously reassuring. And they weren't just being polite. There was something about this that was sort of like, we it's hard for us to show this or talk about it, but the movie captures it perfectly right. and why it gets messier when it could be solved more easily.
0: Yeah. I mean, I imagine there's a really disheartening feeling when you're in academia and you're like, no, but I'm on the good side. I'm on the progressive good side. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to be open and da, da, da. Well, yeah, instead of talking about other people, I can talk about myself, like as someone who hosts this podcast, who I really do try to not offend anyone. Um, Obviously there's some things I say that are offensive, but I mean, in terms of, of the stuff we're talking about, like I try to, not use terms that are offensive and just in general I feel like I'm on the right side of things I want to be so then when I get people nitpicking the way I said something or having a problem with this or that my I have a you know I, I end up on the side of like what we were talking about like okay thank you for educating me but there is a part of me that's like what? <laughs> like no, sure. you're. I'm the wrong. T- I'm not the problem here. I think that everyone has that just sort of totally. defensiveness. Um, and I can imagine in academia, you you know, you're devoting your life to this pursuit of knowledge, and blah blah blah, et cetera. I'm just. I be no, that's feeling I, uh, like betrayed by that reaction.
2: I think academia are out of it. The good life goal is to try to remove your ego. Yeah. And if somebody expresses something to you, it doesn't mean you have to always validate it for them. I mean, I'm sure a lot of those comments are fucking not fair to you. And you're a sensitive person who probably takes it yes. and more than most people do. I'm very similar. So this I was particularly vulnerable right. to this behavior from kids. But there's two kinds of sensitive people. I'm sensitive, so I'm only thinking about my feelings. That's a narcissist. And then there's I'm sensitive, so therefore I'm worried this might hurt your feelings, and mm. I want to be a bit more careful with that. So I strive to be the second part. I do it a lot. You're going to fail. I mean, social media must be a difficult – I hang out with Justin Long and even him reading his mentions, and you. there's always going to be one that's going to upset you. and right. one, It's like a bed of needles. Maybe if there was a thousand, you'd feel better about it, but one <laughs> can kind of like hit you harder yeah. than all of the others, and – the movie is purely advocating for trying to remove your ego to see if something is valid. And mm-hmm. if it is, maybe, you know, maybe, but the Becky and Baker has that line in the movie where she goes, even if you don't mean it, just apologize. Right. That's something valid to yeah. her. And so you can argue there's maybe something towards the end of the movie that does. He mean that apology, but I, I think he kind of does. It seems like he did. He, his performance is so lovely in that scene. I hate even spoiling that scene or referencing it to people who might not have watched it, but um, something about it i um, I thank God I have that scene in the movie because i I think a movie like this is guilty until proven innocent mm-hmm. <laughs> which I get i i side eye a white male filmmaker with like a black female lead because he wants to be mm. uh, show that you know something about that, and we had a female producer, Courtney Johnson, she was enormously helpful with vetting everything I think she was overly scared about things mm-hmm. um and i didn't always. I wanted the movie to have teeth. The movie still is a little dangerous, which I like, but I don't think it's coming at anybody where we haven't heard really anything. It's so nice to talk about this movie with a woman. It's odd. You wouldn't believe it. It's all white men that I talk about really? the movie with, too. And, of course, they're going to identify with his journey. So mm-hmm. it's actually, right. just realizing that. <laughs> it's just kind of cool to hear that perspective on it.
0: Well, Dan Schechter, it was so nice having you on the show. Nice. Everyone go out and watch After Class. It will... Uh, it's a joy to watch, and then if you're like me, it'll sneak up on you. And at the end, you'd be like, uh, why do I feel like I'm about to cry, but I'm not going to, but I feel like I might. That's how I felt.
2: Thank you, Allison. That's and very sweet. Tone Zone, I appreciate uh, <laughs> your contributions as well.
0: Uh, everyone uh everyone who's listening i don't care where you are please come to my sketch fest shows i'm doing alice moses new best friend live january 26 1 p.m gateway theater surprise uh musical guest is uh my old band the angoras we're reuniting for the first time in forever uh i have a lot of catching up to do on guitar i haven't played <laughs> in years i'm very and excited to see this yeah i boy i know uh I've been emailing with the bandmates. My drummer said that he... you Because know, we're choosing what songs to play. And he's like, yeah, I've been... So he, he's already done all his practicing and he already knows all the songs. And I'm like, I might... I need to cut my nails still. They're still too long <laughs> to play guitar right now. So um, yeah, it could... It's not going to be a failure. It's going to be fun. Uh, Go to sfsketchfest.com for those tickets. And also, Greg and I are doing Childish the day before, January 25th. So make a whole weekend of it. Tone Zone is going to be there. That's true. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, Also, uh, I'm on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go for all sorts of fun stuff. Behind the scenes content, um, pictures, little videos. Uh, You can submit questions and carbs and da-da-da. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Allison Rosen. Tony, where do we find you?
1: At Tony Thaxton on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my podcast, Bizarre Albums, uh, every Tuesday. And the Motion City Soundtrack
2: Tour is right around the corner.
0: That's right. Dan, <sighs> let everyone know uh, where uh, plug all your things.
2: The movie, everywhere iTunes and Video OD. And then my Twitter is da- at Dan Schechter. Uh, follow me for. Uh, Retweets of smart political people that say things cleverer than I can. And <laughs>
0: everyone go watch after class and then let thank me you. know what you thought of it. I kind of want to watch it again.
2: Well, that's really nice. I Thanks. really liked it. It's a fun movie to chat with with people. Even watching it not alone, I think, is a smart idea. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank you again, listeners. Thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye.
2: Hey, do you
1: know about the Rose Rosen show? We had a good time go Yeah, Allison Rosie.